So when Jesus boiled down his whole mission to the points of healing the brokenhearted, giving sight to the blind, and setting prisoners free from darkness, he was referring to all of us. But our modern, scientific, enlightened, woke worldview, whatever, has removed spiritual warfare as a practical category. So it shouldn't surprise us that when we are battered and accused and spiritual strongholds occur in our life, that we say they don't exist. Remember in John 10.10, 10, it says that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to bring life and life abundantly. That was Jesus speaking. So if we deny the battle raging within our hearts, well then, the thief gets to steal and kill and destroy. This is Bill Harper. I am a man in search of my heart, and I have seen an image that I'm going to try to bring to you regarding the armor of God, regarding spiritual warfare. And given my military career, I flew helicopters in combat rescue and worked with PJs who jumped out the back. And my dad was an Army Ranger. And the Navy SEALs have inspired me for special operations warfare. So we're going to take a look at the armor of God and compare between what Paul saw, what exists in the current heroes who defend our freedoms of the Navy SEALs, and then try to tie that back into us and what it looks like for us in this battlefield of spiritual warfare. I describe this world as we are born into a world at war and the prize is the human heart. I did not write that originally. That's John Eldridge. And I'm a big fan of what John has written and a lot of my insight and freedom has come from him. But pay attention, people. The agreement that there is no warfare, there is no spiritual war, is the subtle, pervasive lie sown by the enemy so that we don't recognize him. Now, I'm not saying that there's a demon there under that tree, under that tree, but it has an effect on us. Take our marriage, for example. My wife and I, uh, we've learned to follow the practice that big issue, big crisis, big angst comes between us. We'll ask the question, is this you or is this me? And if the answer is two no's, then we know who it is. It's the voice of the accuser jumping in our marriage. And that's one of the biggest battlefields for that issue. Once again, Bill Harper here, a man in search of my heart. And I'm searching for the armor of God and protection over my heart. And I'm going to bring you some insight into some things you might not have noticed. Perhaps a picture of looking at spiritual warfare as a house full of mirrors where everything is hidden and confusing, uh, mostly images of ourselves from the side and distorted, but we can't see behind the mirrors. Again, confusing, disorienting, sometimes hard to find a way out of the maze. I mostly see myself distorted and not much else. Think of spiritual warfare as first as that. Or how about swimming in a river uh, with deep, murky, down on the bottom, like you're, you're a diver, finding stuff down on the bottom, murky, feeling around with your hands. That's about my total clarity sometimes on the subject. But we have instructions to stand and fight. God has told us to stand up to the enemy. And the biggest picture of clarity I have is the armor of God, which is where we're going. 
This world today is getting darker by the day, it seems. You know, the word says that Satan is angry because he knows his time is short. Whoa, look around today, people. I know that one day everything changes when Jesus comes back, but in the meantime, I'm going to try to suit up best I can to take the war and defend those I love with the best picture I've known. Now, the armor of God, I believe, is not just a picture, not just a notional image, notional being existing only in theory or as a suggestion or idea. Rather, I firmly believe this armor of God is as real as the floor I am standing on, the chair I am sitting in. I pray this like I am actually suiting up for battle with defensive and offensive weapons. In my mind's eye, with hand gestures, I put these things on over my body, defining the purpose of each element of the armor of God as I do so. And of course, I believe it makes a difference. John Eldridge wrote in the book, Waking the Dead, the agreements we make with the voice of the accuser lock the door from the inside. Jesus can't get in that way. And renouncing those agreements unlocks that door again. You see, these agreements we make over time solidify into vows. My vow after the death of my parents was, I'm all alone, I'm abandoned. And it evolved into a vow that says, I will always be alone. It's all up to you. You have no guide, counselor, comforter, or higher power looking over you. And even that remained after I accepted Christ because I believed, but I didn't act like it. I didn't act or let him lead me or uh, subscribe to the higher power that was really in charge. And so I lived for years like I was still all alone. Perhaps you've heard messages like, you're too much, or you're not enough, or no one will ever love me, or you'll always be a failure. And because they lies were delivered from the enemy with such pain, they felt true. They pierced your heart. And the enemy is always trying to get us to make agreements. They stick over time and they become vows. Satan always tries to make you question whether God is good or whether you have anything of God to offer others. So that's what his voice looks like. Now let's go into the armor of God. It's quoted in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Once again, this is Bill Harper. I'm a man in search of my heart. I believe that breastplate of righteousness is there to cover my heart. I'm caring for my heart. I need to defend my heart. So that's one example of where I'm going. Anyway, Let's take a look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Subtitle, The Battle Against Evil. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your waist girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
having your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit always with all kinds of prayer and supplication. To that end, be alert with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. So the armor of God described in Ephesians 6 has six elements. And I'm just going from top to bottom, not necessarily in the order that they were presented in Ephesians. Top to bottom, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, and the sword of the spirit. So I'm going to take those six elements and I'm going to start with what Paul saw on the Roman soldier, describing his ancient weapons from what Paul saw. Then I'm going to take a look at these special operations warriors in the real world combat today. Now, interestingly, back in the day when Paul was in prison looking at this soldier, he was pretty much on the enemy side. He was a bad guy. Special operations warriors, there are many today. And I'm going to use the example of Navy SEALs. They are the good guys. They are out there risking their lives to defend and rescue the innocent, to take out evil in its many forms. Navy SEALs, going to be my icon. And then finally, as we describe the armor on the Roman soldier and then the Navy SEALs, uh, how it fits and functions for me, what it looks like in an application in the real world. So let's start with the helmet of salvation. The Roman soldiers had a helmet and they were leather covered with metal. But of course, you've got to have a helmet because uh, taking a sword to the head does not go well without a helmet. Obviously, uh, our head is the most critical thing to protect in battle. Now, the Roman helmets were often made of brass and they had extensions to protect the back of the neck, a vulnerable place. Brow guards for the eyes and face. They had cheek and jaw guards. There were extra padding inside. The ears were protected but exposed because hearing was essential in battle. Did you hear that? Hearing is essential in this spiritual warfare. They were custom fit for the Roman soldier and they took lots of time and skill to create. Those are the helmets worn by the Roman soldier and Paul calls them the helmet of salvation. It protects your head against the voices of the enemy. Now let's take the Navy SEAL of today. There's a carbon composite helmet, used to be known as Kevlar, and I think it's a different substance, but it's very specially constructed. It's a hybrid design. It's lightweight, and it's harder and more resistant to a high-speed bullet than Kevlar. And, you know, they have mounts for night vision devices. They're called NVDs. And night vision allows a huge tactical advantage. Mercy. Don't we need to be able to see in the darkness today? Pick out shapes, see movement, see the enemy. I like the idea of night vision as part of the armor of God. But protecting the head in combat is a really big deal. It's not swords anymore. It's bullets. We have to be aware. We have to use a cunning approach. Jesus, remember, said to be as cunning as snakes and gentle as doves. 
And it's all executed from that brain inside your helmet. I say the heart, which is connected. That's protected with the breastplate of righteousness. So the helmet is key. Me, I put the helmet on by placing my right hand on my head. I go up and down my body. Recently, I have come to subscribe to the principle that my head is a dangerous place and I am not allowed in there alone. How do I get to that awareness level? How do I sense when Jesus is not in there with me? Well, we're it that easy all the time. Uh, in Romans 12, it talks about the renewal of our minds. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think that's happened slowly, uh, but certainly over the years with me. Uh, many times I'll have the committee going on in my head or I'll be full of worries and doubts and fear. I have to silence the committee or shut down the voices and get out of my head and go get Jesus, probably enters through my heart. And then if I, when I go back into that room with all these voices, I got to have him with me. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. What is the world? Interestingly, I've heard a definition that it is the collective momentum of the choices of humanity. Man, is the world full of the media and the TikTok and mercy, all of the licentiousness and things available to and the things we hear that are socially acceptable and proper now, which is really crazy. So the collective momentum of the choices of humanity, it's almost like swimming in a toxic river for us. So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Protect your mind with the helmet of salvation. I suppose I believe and I know, I know in my heart of hearts, is it in my head of heads? My heart, mind, soul, and spirit are connected. But I know absolutely with his salvation, I've been rescued. I've been deemed pure and clean. And that stays in my head, even in the raging battle. So that salvation is put on top of my head and I believe it. When I get it down and I know who I am in Christ, when I know that he adores me just the way I am, then the feelings of diminishment, that I'm a failure, that I'm worthless, the fear you don't have what it takes, that doesn't stick. But I hear the voice of God. You do have what it takes. And the voices are affirming, encouraging, sometimes challenging to take the difficult but righteous choices. So the helmet of salvation on my head protects that. Moving on. The breastplate of righteousness. When Paul was looking at the Roman soldier, he probably saw a metal plate, both front and back, connected with leather straps. Of course, this breastplate protects the vital organs, the heart and lungs especially from all directions, especially arrows and swords. Back in the day, the Roman soldiers sometimes had them decorated with badges that depicted battles they had fought. So that's the breastplate of righteousness on the Roman soldier. Today, for the special operators of the Navy SEALs, there are ceramic vest plates that are lighter and stronger than steel. The ceramic is much better. In the Navy SEAL and special ops world, nobody is left behind. So if a man falls on the battlefield, he's got to be carried out. Another additional burden to the successful execution of the mission. 
But bottom line, it's the vital organs. The heart is central. I am a man in search of my heart. I am a man who's committed to defending, nourishing, protecting my heart. Life verse is Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for from it flows the wellspring of life. Does a breastplate of righteousness or ceramic armor over my torso matter? You bet it does. When I put on the breastplate of righteousness or the ceramic armor, it's called a ceramic armored vest. When I put it on, after I kind of fit, literally with both hands, after I kind of fit the helmet to my head, then I go down my chest with the two hands and I'm kind of layering on from my shoulders down to my belly, the ceramic protective vest, the breastplate of righteousness. A friend asked me the other day, what's it mean to say you call yourself a man in search of your heart? That's an excellent question. The answer is that having filled and enlarged my heart when Jesus entered, and really Jesus did that, much like the story of the Grinch and the Grinch stole Christmas, now I am attempting to nourish it, protect it, uh, listen to it, but also listen to the crazy. You can't always listen to your heart because it can occasionally lead you astray. Sometimes it's a partnership with the Holy Spirit about what I feel in my heart passionately, and as long as it's in accordance with His Word and His goodness, then I'll listen to it then. It's not always perfect, but I'll try to connect with my heart and not follow anything that's bad, and that would be the tone of the voice that's speaking from God. Nourishing a good heart, filling it with the Spirit, which becomes my compass. And that part about the heart is always wicked, I don't believe that's true now that Jesus has come back with the New Testament. Righteousness is something that we are, not something that we do. That's what I got to get in my head about who I am. And that's done by Christ, not by anything that we do. But within us, it affects what we do, but it is not what we do that makes us righteous. That was all about the breastplate of righteousness or the ceramic armored vest of righteousness. Moving on to the belt of truth. When Paul was beholding the Roman soldier, again, more of an enemy than a friend in his world in prison those days, he saw that the Roman soldier had a belt and it was specifically made to attach his weapons and equipment uh, sometimes rations, it went around his waist, it had attach points. Did you know that only a Roman soldier could wear his sword in public? Civilians couldn't do it. And often Roman soldiers wore their belts of truth in and out of uniform as a badge of honor. Now we're talking about Navy SEALs as we move on, who are our friends compared to Paul's relationship with a Roman soldier. Naval Special Operations, that would be Navy SEALs and the like, and Army Rangers and Air Force PJs. Remember, I flew helicopters and PJs were my crew. They have a plethora of tools and they're hung on load-bearing vests. So let's just call them the load-bearing vests of truth. They have a varied assortment of rifles and pistols, the offensive weapon, each customized from the user and mission and preferences. Hanging on the load-bearing vest of truth, the grenade launchers, uh, first aid kits and tourniquets. Uh, they have assortment of knives. They have communication devices. They have GPS devices for time and location. Communications equipment, once again, 
And often they have breaching equipment or explosive charges, grenades. Even chainsaws and blowtorches is what these special operators will need. And I have the vision of them breaking down doors and gates of bronze and bars of iron to come in and rescue us. And that's really happening in the world today, people. I get the picture of the Navy SEAL with all of this equipment. For me, I always put on the belt of truth and I call it a truth filter and or a 360 degree lie detector. Jesus was cunning. By that, I mean he was wise and skillful and crafty. Remember, he said we need to be as gentle as doves and as cunning as snakes. Wise, skillful, crafty as we walk through this life, as we live this out. So Jesus, show me the truth, how to walk and live out that phrase. Jesus, help me detect the lies that come from all directions. And finally, let's round out this load-bearing vest of truth with the canteens, several canteens full of living water. How about that, man? Moving on to the shoes of the gospel. Now, be it a Roman soldier, be it a Navy SEAL, be it any soldier, has to have good feet, good boots. It's always been true that the soldier has to care for his feet back then and today. Now, back then, the Romans had hobnails on the bottom, and then when they would march, they would be a very stunning audio. Here come the Romans. Today, we got good treads for traction. Take care of your feet, soldier. That includes clean socks. Good boots, gospel concepts uh, with dirty socks, pervasive sin doesn't work well over an extended period. So if your socks are dirty and wet, you're not going to work out. So you have to keep your boots dry and your socks clean. In other words, if you fall to sin, repent and turn back to holy choices. We're moving on top of this world with the jagged rocks and the toxins and everything through the shoes fitted with the gospel. So I look at these shoes or these boots of the gospel to be the insulator against this world and the harsh terrain, the jagged stuff that we're, that we're moving over in this world. As for the Navy SEALs, they're wearing the tactical boots of the gospel. Uh, Well-draining boots, they if they would use on a shipboarding mission, a Navy SEAL could be in a dive mission uh, underwater. In that case, he has flippers and probably dive booties. And they're swimming down there in the darkness with a compass on their wrist. Did you know that's how they move underwater? Soldier, always maintain your feet with the tactical boots of the gospel. Did you know one of the Common techniques to immobilize a prisoner of war is to take away their shoes. This happened in Vietnam all the time. The prisoner, therefore, can't move, can't escape without cutting its feet, can't move through the jungle, can't escape. They're locked in. And imagine us, if we don't have the shoes or the tactical boots fitted with the gospel to insulate us from this world, we're prisoners. So what's this application look like for me? Perhaps to wear my desire to tell the good news, to share the restoration of Jesus, to wear it like the shoes on my feet, to move through the world sharing the message of reconciliation of people to God and God to his beloved people. And being able to walk on sharp rocks or hot pavement is essential 
which means I can traverse the painful trials and tribulations of this world without fear, wearing the tactical boots of the gospel. And we know the gospel tells us that what awaits us is far more significant, far more beautiful than anything we suffer in this world. Those are the tactical boots of the knowledge of the gospel that are going to get me there. Moving on to the shield of faith. Now, Roman soldiers would carry these large shields, and they were very large. They actually could kneel down behind them because the Roman soldiers would be attacked with a wave of arrows. Silence thousands would rain down accurately, so they would get behind a wall of shields. They wouldn't have much warning, and the arrows are relatively silent. Could we call the archers as artillery? Is it a foxhole of faith or a shield or ramparts of Kevlar of faith? But the Roman soldiers would link up their shields into a phalanx and become a wall over and top and around them. That was to form a protective barrier when these Roman soldiers would gather close in formation, protected from frontal attacks and missiles from above. He also occasionally had a smaller, lighter shield for close combat. But moving on to the present-day warrior, the Navy SEALs, we talked about the ceramic armored vests. They don't really carry... You see, the shield went away when the firearm was invented because it can't stop a bullet. But those big turrets on a tank can, and I often picture the shield of faith as a turret around me where the devices, the weapons, the fiery arrows, the high-speed armor-piercing rounds can't hit me. I have been praying tank-like armor shields of faith over certain people who are in a battle these days. When I pray the shield of faith over myself, it's on my left arm because the sword is in my right arm and I'm right-handed. I will hold it up and move it, but these days I'm going to start praying the armored turret of faith over my friends and family who are in the battle for their heart. Think about it that way. Moving on to the sword of the Spirit, what Paul saw in the Roman soldier in his offensive weapons was a longer sword and then usually a short knife or a dagger attached to his belt. You see, the Roman soldier had to be in shape. He especially had to have a strong right arm. And any soldier in combat needs to be physically ready to do it. So let's compare the Roman soldier, the enemy of Paul, to the Navy SEALs who are our friends. Their offensive weapons do include a few knives, customized to the user and the mission, hung on the tactical load-bearing vest of truth. But most of the weapons are specialized firearms, sometimes with silencers, automatic weapons, ruggedized against dirt and water, customized to the user, laser sights, holographic sights, and they have a sidearm to round it out. But here's the thing about these offensive weapons. You have to maintain them, you must clean them, and you must practice, practice, practice. You must train for accuracy, train to clear a jam, and train in the dark under fire. Any soldier, endurance and strength are essential to combat, which means nourishment, which means exercise, and it means practice, practice, practice. As in, don't get lazy and don't spend your life on the couch. 
the soldiers that go into combat force today, the Navy SEAL indoctrination training is incredibly tough. And all soldiers have to be in shape to withstand combat. It's very interesting in Ephesians 6 that Paul uses the word stand three times. The Greek word is stako, and it's better translated as stand firm. And in the context of that Ephesians 6 description of the armor of God, the word stiko is a military term that defines the heart of the warrior attitude. It means a warrior spirit that's trained to stand firm in battle. Number one part of the word stiko is to be prepared, to be trained with discipline and skill. The second meaning of stiko is to hold your point, hold your position as part of a team. And the third meaning of stiko is relentlessness. In other words, persistent and tenacious, where you continue to fight again and again and again. Wow, sword of the spirit, sword of the automatic high-speed weapon. The offensive weapon for us soldiers, so we're supposed to be on offense then. In this current world, though, I don't always feel I can go on offense. I feel like standing up for my values and trying to witness people is like working in the underground, much like the French resistance during World War II. I wonder what it was like for the good and virtuous people in Germany during the Third Reich. I wonder if that's what it's like for us today. In a way, are we paralleling them? What would our Hitler be in this world today? I'm older now, I'm Air Force retired, and I'm very comfortable. Am I ready to pick up that sword and fight? That's a great question. Do I have Stikos, the warrior spirit, or do I choose comfort more often than I should? I had these questions and a brother the other day affirmed me that I am spending my time reaching the heart of men and others. I am sharing my heart and seeking to nourish others' hearts. That's my mission. But this discourse is honestly leading me to take some inventory. It's providing a motivation an examination and awakening of me to the sober reality of the battle before me. We were born into a world at war, and the prize is the human heart, always has been. That's why I'm a man in search of my heart. I'm a man in search of nourishing it and protecting it and helping others to nourish, protect, and fight for theirs. As I was questioning my effectiveness the other day, a brother came to me. He said, oh no, Bill, it's apparent you're doing that. I hope this has helped you find your heart and your warrior heart within you. Don't forget, this offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit, the fully automatic big guns that we would carry into combat is the word of God, the word. The word from the beginning, it always is and always was. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. The truth, the word. The Word is the person of Jesus, so our weapons of the gospel originate in Him. I hope you've enjoyed this discourse on the armor of God. I hope it's something you can apply into your lives. I hope that you'll be fully armored up and nourished and supplied. Don't forget to have those canteens of living water with you. I think those are essential, and I'm going to remember that as I go through this journey. This is Bill Harper. I'm a man in search of my heart, and I hope I've helped you find some of yours.